Hello guys, right, here we go. A request has been sent in. I'm going to fulfil it. For Graham Geiselman on Twitter. Boca Malama, fella la la la. Why anybody would want me to sing that, I don't know. Usually I'm the one that gets um, slated for having a terrible speaking voice, let alone singing voice. Anyway, I hope to be back on the podcast sometime next week, a couple of times, once things here have calmed down with the new small child, little Micah we've called her. She's not named after Rafa Micah, unfortunately. It's a Basque name, but I might claim that later on when people ask me. Okay, one last time for that request Graham sent in. A request which I will add has ruined my viewing for television later on because we're having two small people running around at the moment. I generally save up my Tour de France viewing for when they're not around. So, cheers, Graham and Abby, for, well, requesting this and ruining my viewing. Right. One, two, three, all together now. Welcome, Alama. Fa la 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 la. Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz, and we are in... Great question. <laughs> great, great, great question where we are. Uh, we're just past... Kilan, is it? Kilan. Kilan. Uh, which is where the finish of stage... 13? 13 just occurred. I've only been here for like five days, and I'm... Uh, 14. 14. I knew it was 14. I've only been here for about five days. I'm already losing it because that's what happens at the Tour de France. And lucky me, I have a new car mate today. Ronan McLaughlin, how are you? I'm good, yeah. I'm a lot warmer than I was 24 hours ago because I'm not used to this kind of heat that we're experiencing here. It's like 23 degrees. No, it's not. It's like the oven in my kitchen. (laughs) It's a little warmer in Durango where I come from. We have a superb episode for you today. It's just going to be Ronan and I. We're, uh, we're currently sitting in Auberge something. We're, uh, we're about 3K past the finish line of today's stage and about 300 meters from our hotel. And we have some frites in front of us and we have two beers in front of us. And we're going to talk about today's bicycle race. We've got a, we've got a couple different things to talk about. We want to talk about, well, the attacks today how hard the first couple hours were. We talked to somebody from that first breakaway, which rode valiantly off the front for, it must have been almost two hours, hour and a half, something like that. Uh, about, well, what's that like? What's that like being in a breakaway that's never given more than about a minute of a gap and is a little bit doomed the whole time? We'll chat about that a little bit later. We're going to talk about the GC picture and specifically Guillaume Martin rocketing up the standings all the way up to second place today, just over four minutes back on Tadej Pogacar. And what the rest of the GC favorites were doing, particularly those interested in a podium place, uh, why they would let him do that, and what it, kind of what it means for the rest of this of this race, because I think there's some question as to whether the, the rest of this race is going to be raced aggressively or defensively, and perhaps that move helps inform that particular question. We're going to talk about the fight for the KOM jersey, the climbers jersey. We've got two different riders really going at that one at this point. We're going to hear about the Giro Donna. 
from Abby a little bit later on. And at the end of this show, we're going to answer some questions from the audience. We chucked one of those little ask me anything things up on Instagram. We're going to see what questions come in while we're recording this thing, and we will answer a couple of them at the end. Before we go anywhere, though, did you know that 2021 marks Continental's 150th anniversary? That's right. The business was started way back in 1871 in Hanover, Germany, although it was horses they worked with then, not bicycles, hence the horse in the logo. Through the years, Conti has seen many changes, including shifting to Korbach in 1907. But one thing has remained the same in all that time. Continental tires are still handmade in Germany. In fact, if you look carefully on their tires and packaging, you'll see that statement. So you know that every Conti tire has been meticulously prepared for your best ride. Whether you're a pro riding Latour or a commuter riding to work, you're riding tires that have been made just for you. Thanks to Continental for sponsoring today's episode. All right, Ronan. Welcome to the Tour de France. Again, you uh, you were here earlier in the race, but you're back. You flew back this morning. Stage two for me. Stage two for you. <laughs> uh, you flew into Carcassonne this morning, and it turns out the Carcassonne Airport was literally on the race course today. Uh, so, so you started walking on the, on the race course with a bike box. If anybody follows us on Instagram, there's some pretty funny videos of that. Uh, while I was trying to get myself out of Carcassonne, out of the start, to go pick you up. It's good to have you back on the Tour de France. Uh, did you get a, a nice week off there? Uh, I don't know. We had a pretty pretty stressful week off, but uh, it was good good to get home. Um, but it's good also to be back on tour. Uh, one thing I can say is that day what did we say? Day fourteen of the tour. Stage fourteen. Stage fourteen of the tour is uh, very different than stage one, two, and three. People are a lot uh, a lot less happy than when I left. <laughs> People are a lot more tired. I it's would not say. just because you came back. That's not oh. the only reason. Oh. Yeah. No, I, I I was saying to you earlier in the press room that this is the first Tour de France I've done in quite some time where I didn't start at the start. And it, it feels a bit weird because, yeah, like everybody kind of, they ebb at the same rate, right? And, and I'm talking about riders who are just tired. I mean, I, I saw Tom's the other day and I said, you look tired. And he kind of quipped back at me like, well, you just got here, dick. Like, that's why, that's why I look tired to you. It's the same way in the press room. Uh, we're all, you know, well, not we're all because I showed up late. You showed up late this year. But for the most part, people have been on this race the whole time. It just wears on you. It is a, it is a spectacle. And that's kind of what we love about it because it's, it, it's actually back this year. You know, I've, I've seen a couple di- different riders say something along the lines of, you know, the, the Tour de France feels like it's back this year, right? Last year, there were a couple climbs with fans, a couple places with fans, but really it it didn't feel like the Tour de France because the Tour is the pomp and circumstance. The Tour is the chaos, and that was missing from last year's Tour. It's back this year. It's not back 100%. You know, we are sitting in a in a restaurant a couple kilometers away from a finish line. This restaurant, which is currently empty except for us, would have been absolutely packed in a normal Tour de France here. There's still not the the British contingent haven't come out because there's some, there lots of quarantine rules up until quite recently. Uh, you know, no Americans have come over. There's a fair number of, of sort of mainland Europeans that are here, but really, it's 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 a lot closer to the tour that we know and we love. And I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I feel like next year, next year will be fully back to normal, and and it makes for a better race, right? It makes for really good racing. 
sounds like right now might be some sort of happy medium where like the the, the atmosphere as someone who works finish. here yes <laughs> <laughs> but the atmosphere and that finishing straight today when when i sort of ran out of the press room tried to catch the finish as, as Bogum Malama was coming in there and, and there was a real atmosphere there there was a real buzz off a huge crowd just before the finish line and you know, so that part isn't lost, but uh, we can easily walk into a restaurant and get a seat without booking, which, as I say, <laughs> seems like a happy medium. Let's talk about today's bike race. Let's talk about the breakaway. Let's talk about Boca Malama. Uh, takes another Tour de France stage win. He was he was excited about it. He's a very mellow guy. He's a very centered, qu- kind of quiet, really, rider. Uh, we saw a bit of emotion on on the stage, though, and I think that like that's another thing that is kind of absent when you don't have a big swath of cheering fans in front of you, right? Good to see that back. He was pretty excited about his stage win today. They've been they've been Trek Segafredo has been really kind of knocking at the door for a while. I mean, uh, well, Baca and and Kelly Ellison on the Von Two Day, right? They've been close. They've tried. They haven't quite been able to do it, and they were finally able to do it today. Came in. Well ahead of a a serious group, uh, that breakaway today was a serious group. I think he actually he described it. Baca described it in the press conference today as as basically like you know tenth to twentieth on the GC, which is actually a pretty accurate description. Is is a bunch of very 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 strong riders, uh, and he did his classic forty plus k to go solo effort. Came into the line and nobody could catch him. Yeah, it was like the. Just to, I suppose, to cut back to the start today, the racing was so intense for the first hour and a half, two hours. I think when that move finally did go, that's why we've seen such a strong group uh, with, as, as Boyga said, basically 10th to 20th on, on GC. Uh, and that, that was sort of because it was kind of the last man standing at that point that it had been, it had been such hard racing un- until then that, you know, everybody was sort of cooked and it really is the, not the cream rises to the top, but the stronger riders come to the fore at that point. And it was a steep know, climb too. Yeah, exactly. So you had, you had those two things combined to sort of ensure that the break that was going to go clear, you had to have legs to to get in that. That wasn't that wasn't an easy move in any way whatsoever. Speaking of not easy moves, uh, there was one before it as well. It sat off the front with not much of a gap for quite a long time. If you missed the beginning of the stage, you probably well you would have missed this because. Uh, it was it was basically pulled back around two hours, I believe, in hour forty five, something like that. In that group was friend of the podcast, partner of the podcast, Tom Squinch. Uh, I believe you spoke to him at the finish line, didn't you? Yeah, I spoke to him and just asked him. Yeah, well, asked him, but that that move, uh, why maybe it wasn't given freedom that it might have seen in other days, and a few other things as well. Let's hear from him. Tom's a tough day out there, but it ended well for Trek Segafredo when they ended up, did it? Yeah, I mean, uh, we had a plan to stack the brake. At the end, it was just one guy in the brake, but that's all that matters. Yeah, we've seen the whole team fairly aggressive towards the start, but you in particular, you were in a, a long move there for a while. Another day that might have went clear. Why do you think it maybe wasn't the right combination today or didn't get freedom today? I think it was just not enough riders. Uh, more teams should have been represented. Um, and then other people would relax. Also, the guys wanted to fight for the KOM jersey. So uh, that also, I mean, I think uh, played a part in it. Uh, but yeah, I think if it was uh, a few more of the bigger teams, then there would be less attacks in the back and uh, they'd let us go. Or we'd ride away. 
it made for some uh, hectic racing in a way, and it seemed to be just whoever was left standing after it all came back together, a few more attacks, and then we've seen a, a fairly strong group move clear with Bike in it, obviously. Yeah, I mean, we hit a, like the first real big climb of the day, and uh, after racing so hard for two hours, uh, yeah, it was uh, all about the legs. I think whoever wanted to could, or could have, yeah, could, whoever wanted and could was in there yeah all right well we heard tom's mention there about how hard the first two hours of the stage were and i was kind of watching it thinking this reminds me of the stage of the, the ross and for anybody that doesn't know the ross it's an eight-day uci stage race in ireland limited to five rider teams so it's just utter oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's utter chaos on every stage every day because yeah of course five rider teams can't control a race uh, so it, do you get like informal alliances that form though you must you kind of do but it's usually like a lot of folklore about that that if uh, one of the foreign teams so to speak has the jersey the Irish Raiders will combine <laughs> <laughs> to make sure that they don't take the jersey home uh, so there is sort of combines as they are referred to sometimes uh, but usually it's just so much chaos that you don't even get time to combined with another team or whatever so but the start of today's stage really reminded me of that we had a break went clear at one point toms was in it it was a strong group maybe lacking all their world tour teams that that yeah. then we're trying to follow but when you mentioned that in the press room you're like i bet toms is thinking this right now like there's no other world tour riders in there there's so you basically have no no big team ally right it was kind of kind of doomed to fail but you have no choice at that point, but you're you're stuck in, right? You, you just got to put your head down and go for it. it well, yeah, Tom's is in a, pretty much a catch-22 situation there that, you know, he's committed to try and get in that move. They're obviously hoping that some of the bigger teams come with it. Uh, but when they're not there, you're already committed. Um, so it, it's, it's one of those, it's easy for us to sit back and say, that's possibly not going to work out. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, uh, we just sit in our little plastic chairs in the press room talk about what they're doing wrong <laughs> not wrong it was fruitless We're talking about what we would do differently yeah <laughs> it was an exciting start to the stage uh i i, I like stages that start like that you know whenever you've got one of these break stages it's just always you're guaranteed that basically because they know it the riders know it the directors know it they've talked about it beforehand they know that this is an opportunity for a stage win and there's still quite a few teams in this race that do not have really anything out of this race uh as is often the case you know you've got sort of a dominant sprinter i wouldn't have wouldn't have guessed that was mark cavendish ahead of the, the tour de france but we've got a dominant sprinter and a, a pretty dominant gc rider uh but again that can kind of that can kind of open up opportunities as we head into the pyrenees here because uh i don't think that uae because they're kind of on the cusp of being sort of fully strong enough to to support their rider they're not going to do any extra work, right? They're not going to. They're not going to send the front just because, which is something that we've seen quite often in the last couple of years, particularly with Sky and Ineos. They're, they're not going to do that, and so I think I bet we see sort of extra breakaways in the last week here. I think that's a that's an extremely likely circumstance. Yeah, and I suppose like if you're sitting in, in UAE Team Emirates shoes or their director's shoes at the moment, you're sort of looking at each stage and sort of thinking. Well, where do we draw the line? Yeah, you know, as in which riders do we let in the break and which riders do we not? And at the moment, there's only one rider within five minutes, 
uh, who was in the break today. Who was in the break today, exactly. <laughs> so there is, you know, ample opportunity there for a writer sitting 10th to 20th or something, sneaking their break. Wow. I guess UAE aren't going to be overly concerned about about closing that down. Uh, and, and yeah, just like Guillaume Martin today, they can shoot right up the, the GC. And that's sort of, when I was watching that today, I was wondering, you know, are UAE trying to force other teams to ride here? Right. Take up some of the pacemaker on the front let them sit back and probably uh, effectively put pressure on the teams who they're hoping are going to want to start defending second, third, fourth position on GC. Uh, but I think it's maybe still just a little bit too close from second to 10th almost yeah. for that to really happen. Well, Martin isn't, isn't super threatening. I don't think like, so, so Guillaume Martin today jumps in the, in the break, right? He takes a bunch of time. He moves up seven places to second place overall. He's four Oh four back. He, he jumps Rigoberto Aran, he jumps Carapaz, he jumps all these riders who we've been talking about as like real podium contenders. Not to say that Guillaume Martin is not a real shot. He's not here. I can say that. <laughs> he's not a real podium contender, really. <laughs> I mean, it'd be great. I'd love it, but he's like realistically not really. But I do think it's really interesting that he was allowed that time and that we didn't see Ineos come to the front and say, no, nah, we don't really want to give you that much time on Carapaz. Or we didn't see EF come to the front and say, no, like we don't, we don't want to give you second place, even temporarily. I think that's, it's indicative of, of what we might see over the last week here, which is we've got second to 10th within, what, five minutes of each other, five, six minutes of each other. And if the question in my mind is whether... Guillaume Martin's ride today inspires aggression or defense, right? Because because we could go one of two directions. We could get super defensive and just say like, okay, well, like other teams start to chase down everything that, that moves. Every, uh, other teams start to not let riders like Guillaume Martin up the road. Or we could see a bunch of riders say, hey, that worked for him. He just leapfrogged me on the GC. Why don't I try that? And then we see a bit more chaos in the final week. We see a bit more... Uh, well, just just more riders trying to jump into breakaways and take you know five six minutes like like Martin did today, uh, because realistically, like he's a very good rider. Martin was sitting in what the top five of last year's Tour de France for quite a while. He could hang on to the podium, and if he hangs on to the podium and he and he's standing on the podium in Paris, it'll be because of today and jumping in a breakaway, right? That's not usually the case. It's usually we don't look at the podium and say one of those riders is there because they hopped in a breakaway this race. It happens on occasion, but it's pretty rare. I think, yeah, what we sometimes see is a rider can jump into the top 10 because they've been in a breakaway, but the jump on the podium. Yeah. I mean, everything from Tom, Thomas Volkler to, to Philippe to, I mean, it happens. It does happen. Uh, but again, you rarely go from eighth to second or ninth to second, whatever that was, uh, versus like fifteenth to sixth or something like that, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I do think though that you know today was a long stage. It was it was hot out here today. It was you know racing from the gone. That's just because you're Irish. It wasn't that, <laughs> wasn't that hot today. <laughs> Uh, well, the, the the riders were certainly crossing the line, caked in sweat, so they were. Uh, and I do think Guillaume Martin will probably pay for today's efforts um, in, in the long run. You know, tomorrow's another long stage, so or another a tough stage. So, you know, I, I'm I'm there with you, hoping that he can uh, stay up there. Much like Ben O'Connor at the moment, you know, he moved up to second, has dropped down to sixth on the Vontu stage. 
we'll see tomorrow has he managed to recover since then but it's it's very difficult to back up those sorts of efforts day after day i guess we uh sort of brief aside here brief tangent um so lucas hamilton had his was it ac separation i believe uh, which is the second aussie olympic team rider to have an issue over the last couple of weeks uh, I wonder if Ben O'Connor is next on that list. I don't think we've seen who goes to Tokyo just yet, but that, I mean, that would make the most sense to me. He's, he's clearly flying right now, right? Mm-hmm. It's a super hard course. Balcomolima after the stage today in the press conference is saying that he is very much looking forward to Tokyo because it's a, it's a kind of course that suits him. If it suits Balca, it suits Ben O'Connor to some extent, maybe not quite as perfectly, but to some extent, it's a very hard, very climbing course, and I wonder if I wonder if Ben ends up in Tokyo. That's a bit of a tangent, but I, I think it's likely at this point. Uh, I haven't seen the Aussie Olympic team, but I would have assumed he would have been on it already. <laughs> so, just as a sort of a brief GC recap, like where we are right now, right? We've got we've got Tadej Pogacar in. He's ridden his bicycle for fifty six hours, 50, 56 hours, fifty minutes, and twenty one seconds, which is. Four minutes and four seconds less than Gilmartin. Five eighteen less than Rigoran. This is a very confusing way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is Gilmartin is four oh four down. <laughs> Rigoberto is five eighteen down. Jonas Vingegaard is five thirty two down. Carapaz five thirty three. Ben O'Connor five fifty eight. Wilco Kellerman, 616. They're so close. They're so close. I mean, the the, the battle for that podium is going to go down to the absolute last day of this race, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're so tight. The gaps on some of the, the final uphill finishes, like Luzard Dunan, for example, are going to really determine, and the, and the final time trial, are really going to determine who is standing on that podium in Paris. Yeah, for... For sure, like the I think the you know those if we look at the writers there, let's you know for the sake of this discussion take Martin and, and Ben O'Connor out of it because rude, <laughs> accurate they, but rude. They they have sort of you know they, they're the breakaway uh, specialists in this top ten at the moment. Uh, but if we look there, Uran, Vinegard, and Carapaz, and maybe include Kelderman as well. Um, you know, Vinegard is the only writer who showed in the first time trial that he's got a time trial that he can sort of rely on to, to haul himself onto the podium on that second last day. The other riders there, Uran and Carapaz, really, I, th- I, I think they have to go on the attack in the, in the coming days and, and have to try and cement their, their, or secure their, their podium places before we get to that final time trial. Because as good as they can be on a time trial on their day, uh, it certainly looks like Vinegard or Vinigo. 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 We don't really, I mean... I'm not Danish. I have no idea. But that's what we hear. Yes. that's what We believe that's as close as, as we can get as native English speakers. <laughs> I mean, Vinigo, is, he had a fantastic first time trial. Like, let's keep that in mind. And so, like you said, he's, he's, he's going to overhaul people. And if I was anybody around him, he said, I, I, would, I would certainly be worried. Well, we'll get into tomorrow's stage at the end. Obviously, we have, we have a sort of preview tomorrow's stage. But... It is a it's a big mountain stage into Andorra, and it's the final stage for the second rest day, which occurs in Andorra. So yeah, tomorrow is going to be it's going to be massive for all these things we're talking about the the, the tightness of that GC fight, uh, the tightness of the KOM battle, which which is currently led by Michael Woods 
He has 54 points to Naira Quintana's 50. I, I'm pretty sure Nairo's going to want that one back. I'm pretty sure he's going to want that one back. He was rolling around and looking pretty pleased with himself the other morning. I think it, this is going to be, this one's going to go all the way to the end of the Pyrenees, I think, because maybe, well, I guess end of the Pyrenees is basically the end of the race this year. It goes Pyrenees, one stage, TT, done. But anyway, it's going to go to the end of the Pyrenees because both of those riders really want polka dots. They're very, both very, very capable. Uh, Nairo, probably the better pure climber. Woods, much better at, you know, little punchy stuff where he can take points sort of throughout a stage. He's going to win. If he's with you, he's going to beat you in a sprint probably at the top. It's going to be an interesting battle between those two. Yeah, and not forgetting White Poles also, who's just one point behind Nairo Quintana. So it's really also a, there. A three, yeah. a three rider race. Um, and of course, White Van Art and fourth, <laughs> who can do it just about anything. <laughs> Luckily for the rest of them, there's no KOM points on the sprint lines. But, right. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, Woods took a jersey today, sort of caught him at the finish line. He was saying, you know, about how delighted he was to be in the jersey, but slightly dampened by the fact that he did come down today. And to be honest, he looked fairly bashed up from that. You know, yeah. he, his. Uh, so you saw him at the finish. How do you, yeah, how did he look? He. So I saw him. I d- didn't get speaking to him, but I saw him just after the finish before he got cleaned up in that. And his. Um, his left hip, the shorts were ripped pretty, pretty badly. Couldn't really see if his hip was cut or not, but his left elbow was was badly cut up as well. So it was so there was a lot of blood coming out of that. And he did mention it then in post race interviews that it was a dampener on getting the jersey, and he was hoping to be okay to get in the break tomorrow again. Yeah, because that's the thing is is to win that jersey, you're going to have to basically get in a breakaway every mountain stage between now and the end of the Pyrenees, which is four more days so and i think that's maybe where quintana perhaps has the edge now uh and that you know michael woods was out there today took points on on all the claims today but tomorrow was a bigger day in the Pyrenees with more points up for grabs and you know it was such a hard day out there as we as we mentioned earlier quintana you know sat sort of more comfortably in, in the bunch today perhaps got a slightly easier day and and maybe just thinking ahead towards tomorrow and, and getting a bigger haul of points so uh, again what Paul's is in the break today as well so it's going to be interesting to track these three riders and see how they approach the, the coming days I, I do think the sort of ball is back in Quintana's park tomorrow he, he he might have the upper hand if he can get himself in that move but you know it's it's not just riders going for KOM jersey who are trying to get in the breakaway and it, it's, it's a lot easier said than done so by no means guaranteed we see yeah. Quintana in the break tomorrow I mean, let's let's be honest. Waffenart's going to take it, right? Like he'll just, he'll just decide to. And and I still I still can't believe his 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 Von Two ride. I'm just we were standing on the side of the Von Two and we saw him go by, and I was like, oh, that's that's cute. Like he's he's you know he's up with Ola Philippe and a bunch of other climbers, like real climbers, and still managed to take it. What an what an incredible incredible rider. Well, that's that's enough about today's stage. We're gonna we're gonna talk about tomorrow's stage in just a moment. But before we do, it's time to hear from Abby, the Girodone. All right, checking in from Andorra, where I will meet up with Ronan and Kaylee tomorrow. Really quick recap of today's Girodone stage, stage nine, the Queen stage. Unfortunately, there was no live coverage of today's stage due to. Well, no signal in the mountains, although 
that can happen, you know, when you go to high mountain places. Um, I think that this is something that could have easily been avoided and we will discuss it on the next freewheeling podcast on Monday. So don't miss that if you want to hear some quality ranting, but about the stage, Ashley Mullman Passio won her first ever stage of the Giro, an incredible win for her. She won it solo. She's never won a stage before, but she's competed in 11 Girodones. She claims 10 because I think she's not counting one where she only raced, I think the first two stages or the first one stage, but she's been on the start line of 11 Girodones. She's finished second overall in 2018. She's finished on 13 stage podiums, but she's never won a stage. So it was a huge day for Ashley Mullen Passio. And I spoke with her earlier in the year on freewheeling about what it meant for her career moving to SD Works. She's always been a leader on teams, even when she had no idea what she was doing. She's been the fastest on a lot of the teams she's been on. So she's been kind of put in this box of also being the captain on the road when she didn't really know how to fulfill that role. Now she's on SD Works, and obviously there's a lot of incredible riders on the team. So they're able to dictate more to her, you know, what she should, what she should do, where she should make a move and stuff like that. And because of that, she's really been able to up her game. So SD works went one, two, three again today. Demi Wallering took second behind Ashley and then Anna Vandebregen finished in third. Pretty wild that SD works is absolutely dominating this race. But if you want to hear more about that, listen to freewheeling because we have some opinions about that. Anna Vanderbregen continues to lead the overall. So that's your Giordone wrap up for today. Tomorrow is the final stage, stage 10. It's going to be potentially a day for a little sneaky breakaway, or will it be another sprint? Uh, Mariana Voss is no longer in the race. She left before the stage today, stage nine to get ready for the Olympic games. But Emma Norsgaard is still there and she is really coming into her own as a sprinter. We also have Lorena Webus. They've had more chances in this Jero Done than any in recent memory. So we will see what will happen tomorrow and I will be back. For now, let's hear a little bit about the day on the ground from Ruth Winder and Hannah Barnes. Hello from the second to last day of the Jero. Um, oof, climbing today and I personally just try to help Lizzie stay in good position and pace the first longer climb that we did um, as much as I could and then Eliza put in a good attack trying to go for the stage win and it was really stronger in a moment Picasso stayed away um, and then I don't really know exactly what happened actually coming to the finish because uh, yeah, I was very dropped, but I know that Lizzie got fifth, so, and Ashley won, so I assume that at some point Eliza got dropped from Ashley, and then Demi and Vanderbregen just, yeah, was super, super strong, as we already know, and came second and third, and then Lizzie's super strong ride on the climb to finish fifth for sure, um, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, I came in off the back. The, f the beginning was actually pretty active. Lots of people were trying to get breakaways, but apparently uh, SD Works didn't really want a Trek rider in there. So they were just closing everything down and stopping it from going, which was a little bit annoying. Would have been nice to get a head start on the climb. 
yeah so tomorrow i think we do a kind of a circuit with a bit of a hill in it i think uh i don't actually know for sure i need to check the bible i'm just going one day at a time and it's the last day so i would say hopefully some gelato but truthfully i've already had gelato last night's dinner was super good and it was my birthday last night and i got cake i actually had three pieces of cake and but the cake last night was so good i kind of hope we just have that for dessert again tonight but either way i know we're going to a nice hotel and gonna have a relaxing evening and that'll be nice um yeah so last day tomorrow everybody's in a good good spirits here with our team maybe not the best results we have been hoping for so far i mean we did win the team time trial so we have had a win and then i think just yeah lizzie's in fourth and gc which is great um but obviously we came came going a bit more for the podium um spots and there's big time gaps between everybody um those top three and four so yeah we'll give it a good go but the podium is looking like it might be hard to reach right now um but yeah okay i'll uh be back tomorrow for the last the last report so we're on to day nine of the duo and um yeah like we were expecting today was hard um, I had a pretty hard climb 80k in, um, which split the peloton up quite dramatically. But in the valley road, it, it kind of came back together. And with Elise, <coughs> Elise Longaborghini and Ashley Mormon at the road, it was, yeah, just about trying to, yeah, limit the gap, I guess. But it was, it was quite slow in the valley um, leading up to the climb, but... Yeah, with the climb being 13k long, it was no, no one really wanted to take it up apart from SD Works, just because they didn't really have the numbers to be able to, to chase and also be there to help in the climb. But yeah, it was. If you can look at the results and the time gaps, you can tell how hard the climb was. Um, it just got steeper and steeper and steeper as we kept going. I think, yeah, 13k, eight percent, um, with a few downhill pitches in there too. So yeah, it was a pretty hard one. But yeah all fed up and ready to go for tomorrow's last day um it's a couple of laps with a few climbs in there too so yeah looking at previous stage tens it could be a breakaway day just for riders that are still got some energy left and motivated to to finish with a bang um but yeah looking forward to it just watching some Wimbledon doubles finals to to see me off for the day for the day and yeah, looking forward to tomorrow and one last day. Before we get on to previewing tomorrow's stage, this week's episode is brought to you by Breakfast with Boz, surfed up by Wahoo Fitness. Breakfast with Boz is a Wahoo podcast hosted by former pro- professional cyclist and recent first place winner of the Unbound Gravel 200, Ian Boswell. Ian rode for Team Sky and Katusha, completing each of the three Grand Tours during his time as a pro. Now Ian has taken on new adventures, racing gravel bikes, having conversations with the world's most interesting athletes. Ian has spoken to Sarah Sturm, Colin Strickland, Jack Thompson, and world tour pros from the top men's and women's teams in the sport. Ian discusses relevant topics in the sport today and highlights training-related topics by speaking with the Wahoo Sports Science coaching staff. Head on over to wahoofitness.com slash podcast slash breakfast dash with dash boss. Or just Google it. Google it. Sounds easier to me. To start listening today and share your love of Breakfast with Boz, 
served up by Wahoo by sending it to all of your ride partners. Thanks to Wahoo and Breakfast with Boz for sponsoring today's episode. And I will, as I often do, put in my two cents on the ad I just read. It's a great podcast. Go check it out. It's really good. I just the other day listened to the episode he did on the migration race, which was super cool. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 That was a a big race in Kenya. Gravel race in Kenya. Very cool uh, episode. Now it's time to talk about the final stage before the rest day, stage 15 into Andorra. Before we get into the racing angle, let's hear from Jose Bain. On stage 15, we go to Andorra, which is a current hotspot for professional bike racers. Andorra La Vella is the highest capital city of Europe. It sits at 1,013 meters above sea level. And despite the fact that many pro cyclists now reside in the country, Pro Cycling Stats shows us only two riders with the nationality Andorra. This landlocked microstate is a special little country, but it's not the smallest country in Europe. They're five countries smaller, namely Vatican City, the smallest of them all, Monaco, San Marino, Liechtenstein and the island of Malta. The anthem of Andorra is El Gran Carlemani, or the Great Charlemagne. The first line is, the Great Charlemagne, my father, from the Saracens, liberated me. Andorra claims it is the last of the Marca Hispanica. And those were buffer states created by Charlemagne to keep the Islamic Moors from advancing into Christian France. And tradition holds that Charlemagne granted a charter to the people of Andorra in return for their fighting against the Moors. Andorra has traditionally a strong affinity with the region of Catalonia in northern Spain, and Andorra's official language is also Catalan. Its institutions are based in Catalan law and a large proportion of the Spanish immigrants or their descendants are Catalan. Because of the lack of customs duties and low or virtually non-existent taxes, Andorra has become an important international centre of retail and that attracts millions of shoppers from all over Europe to buy duty-free imported consumer goods, alcoholic beverages, electronic devices, tobacco and clothing. Tourism is another of Andorra's leading industry and the area has, of course, excellent opportunities for winter sports and nowadays it's a hotspot for bike riding as well. And I advise you to follow Robert Geesing on Instagram. He lives in Andorra and on his handle RGUpdate, he shares fantastic clips from this tiny but beautiful country. Andorra La Vella often features in the Vuelta a España and the Volta a Catalunya, but the Tour de France also visits Andorra more in recent years. The climbs in the Pyrenees are always tough and a guarantee for spectacular racing. With the Port den Valira, we have the highest peak of this year's Tour de France at 2408 meters, and the Col de Baisales is also a well-known climb in the aforementioned races. The first time the Tour de France came to Andorra was in 1964. Spanish rider Julio Jiménez won with a margin of almost nine minutes on the peloton with later Tour de France winner Jacques Anquetil. Jan Ulrich won in 1997, a minute ahead of Marco Pantani. And it was on that day that the German took the yellow jersey and he kept it until Paris. 
Recent winners in Andorra are Brice Feuille in 2009. It was the only pro victory for the Frenchman, but it was a Tour de France stage. And Tom Dumoulin in that hailstorm in 2016. All right, Ronan. Tomorrow's bicycle race. You've got the official Tour de France roadbook in front of you. Mm-hmm. You have uh, maps and, and profiles and all sorts of things. What do you think? I think that Rigoberto Iran is going to get stuck in his 5311, <laughs> coming in the final <laughs> few kilometers, and he's going to win a sprint. Perhaps not against Warren Bargill this time, but I think he's going to win a sprint in the 5311. Unfortunately, Mavic no longer here is neutral service. Shimano, isn't it? And, and Max Rufi, who is the uh, the Mavic mechanic who leaned out the window and, and well, not fixed, but, you know, hit or whatever. <laughs> Give him the one gear. Yeah. <laughs> Gave Rigoberto around the one gear he needed to win that stage. Max, is, he's, no, he's not at the Tour de France this year. At least I haven't seen him. Maybe he's here for Shimano. But I haven't seen him. No more Mavic, which is a sad thing, by the way. The, the, the yellow cars are gone. We love the Shimano blue. You know, it's it's the tour fronts. It's mm. yellow. Like yellow is a thing, right? Anyway, tangent. You can't see any yellow here. There's no red. <laughs> oh, we got yellow, there's right? There's loads of blue. Yeah, orange. <laughs> Just the details of tomorrow's stage. We've got, well, it's, it sort of slowly rises from the start, which is going to make the make the break a little bit more selective. Uh, then it drops a bit. We've got a sprint point. Potentially see some green jersey action on that one. Sprint points at 66K. So we've got four categorized climbs. Cat one, cat two, cat one, cat one. It's a really hard day. It's 191K. They go into Andorra about 50K from the finish. And we finish up in Andorra La Vea in Spanish or in French. Andorra La Vea. No downhill finish. Downhill finish. Down the finish, which again is good for Rigo and his and his eleven, his fifty three eleven uh, picks. Well, that, that that was my pick. <laughs> oh, all right, Rigo. Um, I mean, normally I'd pick Bocamolima for that for this stage, but got maybe a little tired after today, a little bit tired. But then again, most of the other riders I would pick for today's stage were also in the breakaway today. So I haven't really thought about this. <laughs> All right, how about this? So let's do a let's do a breakaway pick and a GC pick. Give me one of each. So, so your Rigo pick is a GC pick. It is, yeah. Yeah. What's a breakaway pick? Breakaway pick for tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking tomorrow. If if he's coming round, uh, I spoke to him at the start of the the tour way back up in Brittany, and he said that he was focusing on the on the the latter half of this race. Um, and if he's come around now after his volunteer breakaway, then I think potentially tomorrow might suit Dan Martin. I could see that. I could see that. I am going to go breakaway Esteban Chavez, who's been slowly, quietly working his way up. He is now in 12th. He is one of those riders who, with a with a big old breakaway, well, the gaps get quite large after you get to like 11th, but with a big old breakaway, he could he could potentially bust into the top 10. So I could see it. I can see it. He's going to be my breakaway pick. And my GC pick, should it end that way? I mean, I have to pick Tade Pogaccio, right? Like, he's the strongest rider in the bike race. He's, he's a pretty, pretty safe pick. 
I do think it's going to be a. I think it's going to be a break tomorrow, though. I think a successful break because, like we talked about earlier, UAE not going to want to do anything they don't absolutely have to do. And frankly, if it's you know Esteban Chavez and a bunch of guys from you know twelfth onward, they don't have to chase. They don't care if Esteban Chavez takes ten minutes tomorrow. Certainly, they don't care if he takes five minutes. Uh, but there are enough other teams that will probably want to jump on and 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 help out tomorrow. I think because of the tightness of that top second to tenth. I think that uh, I think we get a breakaway tomorrow. Yeah, well, I sort of was thinking that too, but I, you know, I, and while we were saying earlier about UAE wanting to potentially put pressure on teams who are maybe thinking about second and third, I think they're also going to want earlier in the stage to keep the racing going for as long as possible because the longer that racing is happening, the less that they have to ride, um, and then as we've seen on the Von on the Von Two stage, potentially. After the racing is done, and UAE have made it obviously don't want to bring it back, then we might see Ineos come to the front again. And you know, we have we haven't really seen a change in tactic in the past two days from Ineos to suggest that they're not going to try something like that again. I bet they do. Yeah, I'm thinking they might. All right, there you go. Those are our picks. Now, last but not least, today's episode, we put out a little call for questions on our Instagram. Said we'd answer them. Let's see what let's see what came in. All right, I'm gonna open up the thing here. Our social media editor has been sending them to me. Coolest bike you've seen in the tour so far. Oh, he just sent more. Oh man, there's so many questions. We're not gonna get to all these. Sorry, sorry if we don't answer your question. <laughs> Coolest probably, bike in the tour. Probably those new uh, Project One paint jobs on the tracks that Trek Segafredo were riding. Those are pretty great. It, it hasn't. It hasn't been a vintage year for custom paint jobs. Yeah, but those—the whole team is riding that. They're—they're they're pretty good. Yeah, I love the look of the Colnagos. Pogacar's Colnago looks good. And granted, I'm more of like a C64 kind of kind of guy. They're on the V V3 RS or something like that. So they're on the non-lugged version. I like the the those carbon lugs. Is just such an absurd thing that I, I just really love them. He's also on disc brakes, which, by the way, side note, if he wins this Tour de France, would be the first Tour de France victory on disc brakes. We are headed that direction. It looks likely that we're going to have the first Tour de France victory on, on disc brakes. A certain someone had a close look at that B3 RS on a certain segmentips.com. Yep. Great website. Go check it out. Aside from wheels and rotors, did you guys spot any new stuff from Shimano? That's a question for you, Ronan. Just Except for their their sprint shifters being used on SRAM bikes, <laughs> <laughs> we spotted some Shimano stuff where it shouldn't have been. But <laughs> apart from that, uh, it's just been the, the wheels, uh, the wheels and rotors so far that have cropped up. I, I was sort of, I think I said it about a hundred times in the the recordings we did before the tour that we're going to see the new juries, but we didn't. Maybe maybe like maybe in the shops or something. You never know. Mm. This tour feels like a series of one-day races. Is there any addition to the tour similar to this? No one can control. There's definitely additions of the tour that are similar to this. Um, the one that, I, that sort of the most recent example is, and you can go back and find tons of tours that were uncontrollable. The most recent example is probably 2014 with, with Nibali. Uh, and a lot of that was just because two of the major favorites, Constor and Froome, you know, dropped out of the race. Injuries, crashes. And... 
and Nibali wasn't really a favorite coming into that one. He was he's sort of a favorite for a podium, right? Uh, didn't have a massively strong team with him, and it was a little bit uncontrolled. But it wasn't quite like this. It wasn't chaos every single day. There were some chaotic days. I mean, that was the you know Froome dropped down on the Roubaix day that that year. Uh, anytime you have Perry Roubaix cobbles in a Tour de France, that's that's chaotic. But Sort of in recent times, basically like since since the basically the postal era, like you know, ninety-nine really. Maybe even back to Indurain. Not as much chaos as this. I, I would say that the um ninety seven tour, the Pantani one was was close. The way that he won was just so uh he didn't need a lot of chaos because he was just the fastest, he was the strongest climber in the race. He took so much time every time they went uphill. But that's that's maybe the the, mo- the other most recent one that I can think of. Question: Worst meal you've had this tour <laughs> might be controversial, <laughs> but it's a toss up between uh, the press room buffet that i had on the on my first visit to the press room it just i was warned not to but you have to try it <laughs> and the was that today or no no, no. it was uh, the first week today was great <laughs> and the uh, mcdonald's breakfast that i had the following morning <laughs> <laughs> both bad both bad yeah well you know plenty of bad food at the tour de france but uh i mean i haven't been here i've been here since what monday I haven't had anything terrible terrible the worst hotel yeah. yeah, I got to a hotel and the, the hallway smelled like piss and I got in my room and it smelled like smoke with like a big no smoking sign. That was great. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah. not a, not. A, and then, I, you know, it was a meme and I looked around for other hotels that were available and there was zero. So I stayed I there. One job at meme, but everybody laughed. <laughs> Nobody listened. <laughs> I appreciate the question, but I also I'm wary of complaining about being at the Tour de France. You know, mm. like... We were pretty lucky, Ronan. And if any of you out there ever get the opportunity to go to the tour, it's incredibly cool. It's just so cool. I mean, Von Tu the other day, it 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 stands the hair up on the back of your neck when they go by. It's it's a truly it's a true it's an emotional experience, emotive experience, and and I highly I highly recommend it. You know, terrible meals and terrible hotels be damned. Who cares about that? Suck it up. Come over here. It's 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 really cool. Come on over next year. The transfers of team logos. There's another question. Transfers of team logos for podium jerseys. Do all the teams bring them just in case? Um, the organization does that. The teams we do not do that. And you actually you posted a, a, a photo or video of them pressing those onto the on the jerseys today. Just happened to catch them uh, pressing onto a polka dot jersey from Michael Woods, and it's basically just a transfer that goes onto the center of the jersey with the team sponsors. The teams do provide the design in advance, but then the the organization does, yep. does it on the day for them. And, and the the jersey that they get on the podium that they have to transfer in a minute is not the one that they wear the next day. There, there's a, there's one that's actually you know sublimated or printed on there uh, for the following stage. How much harder is it to get to interview riders due to COVID? Do you have to ask the press officers? Yes. <laughs> uh, it sucks. It's terrible. It's um, I mean, it's Ronan's first tour de France, so he doesn't. He's, he has no no context here. 
Uh, so you probably think it's fine. But co- compared to a regular year, it's annoying. So normally, you know, it starts, for example, we just sort of wander around the buses and the, the riders can see you out the window. You can't see them, but they can see you. And generally, you know, you ask a press officer, you're like, hey, can I talk to, talk to this rider? Usually they'll help out. They'll go get a rider. You can talk to them right, right outside the bus. But even if they don't, you can just catch them, right? You can just snag them when they, when they leave. And they don't have to talk to you, but most of the time they'll stop. And that is, that's gone this year. Uh, you can try to sort of shout from the pens that we get put in and, and hope that they stop. But they don't most of the time uh, unless you shout real loud. Ronan, you've been successful at that on, on occasion, actually. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to kind of get used to it because I've been doing it the other way for so long. I can't wait for it to be back to normal next year. Sounds like it will be. But yes, it is. It's more difficult than normal to talk to riders. And actually, the bigger thing is not just riders, because riders, I don't, I, some of them listen to this. We love you, but you don't usually say much. That's particularly interesting, riders. <laughs> The real, the real more interesting people to talk to are the directors, and we have no, no real access to them because they don't wander through. They don't have to go through the mix zone like the riders do. And those are usually the people that say the most interesting things. You know, like I was chatting with Matt White the other day, and, and sort of he sort of broke down the whole race for, for Andrew Hood and, my, and myself over, from over at Bella News. And, uh, yeah, that was a super interesting conversation, and it's stuff that the riders are usually too cagey to, to talk about, but the directors, the directors often give you good stuff. So we... We have less access to them, which means fewer like, real kind of uh, tactical stories, I would say. Um, if Kofidis is vampires, who is werewolves? Uh, I mean, I, I, I would guess that would be the wolf pack. Is that the kind of quick step? Like, yeah, I, I, I think the whole wolf thing's kind of taken already, isn't it? <laughs> I, so Tade Pogaccia is a 22-year-old. He likes a good bike meme. If you've ever gone and looked at the uh, who he follows on Instagram, he loves a good meme account. Loves a good meme. Actually, he loves a bad meme account too. He loves all the <laughs> meme accounts. And so I'm sure he has seen this meme. If you're not, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go on Instagram and find a, any meme account, and they've all basically Kofidis is vampires is is the is the joke slash meme. So I've been really tempted to ask Pogacar because he comes into the press conference every day. He sits down in yellow jersey, and at this point in the race, we don't actually have that much to ask him, right? Like four four reporters out of like two hundred in the press room go up and ask him a question. I've just been kind of tempted to go and ask him if Kofidis are vampires because I he he definitely would know exactly what I was talking about, would probably laugh, and probably have an answer. So maybe I'll do that in the next couple of days. We'll see. Final question. Then we gotta then we gotta get out of here. Make some and I make some dinner. Have some dinner. Who in the Peloton would you draft to race Lachlan in his alt tour? Excluding Swain Tuft. Gotta be Thomas DeGent, isn't it? Probably. Yeah. I mean you have to be a little bit crazy and very strong. I think Thomas DeGen is the obvious answer. Yeah. There you have it. Alright. I'm going to cut it off there. we got a bunch more questions. If we didn't get to you, maybe we'll get to you tomorrow. We're going to do this, I think, at the end of a couple of different episodes. And if you see, uh, if you don't already follow us on Instagram, obviously go do that, and you'll see this in the stories, and you can just drop a question in there. That's it from us today. Been a long episode. 
We'll be back tomorrow from Andorra, stage 15. Bye, everybody. Bye.